This week on Phone Calls with Clever People, we're having a really important conversation about reconciliation. Now, this episode was recorded during Reconciliation Week, a time for all Australians to learn about our shared histories, cultures and achievements, and to explore how each of us can contribute to a more just, equitable and reconciled nation. Like many people, I'm on a journey to better understand what this really means for me and the role that I play as a leader. And so I got in touch with Indigenous Engagement and Inclusion Consultant Johnny Briggs to answer the question, what does reconciliation mean for me and what's my role as a leader? Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Today's guest is Johnny Briggs, a proud member of the Yorta Yorta and Gunai Nations in Southeastern Australia. He is a consultant specializing in indigenous engagement and inclusion, and honestly, one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. Johnny, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome. Shane, good morning and hello to all our listeners. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, Shane. It's um, the last day of National Reconciliation Week, and it's been uh, a very busy, eventful uh, program over the last seven days. Yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm looking forward to having a conversation and really understanding more about uh, Reconciliation Week. But one of the things I often like to do, obviously, just to introduce you and and get to know some of the people that are on the show is to ask some really quick fast facts. And uh, the fast facts are are really three simple questions. Number one, where did you grow up? Or tell me a little about your your upbringing. Uh, Number two, what was kind of your first job? And then number three, what do you do now? Um, What's some of the work that you do now? So I'll hand that over to you. Yeah, wonderful, Shane. And uh just before we move on, in the spirit of uh, Reconciliation Week, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional custodians on where our listeners are based today. I'm up here in Brisbane on the terrible Yagra Jagra country. Um, and it's a wonderful way to support reconciliation by acknowledging that uh, as Australians, we connect to one of the world's oldest and longest surviving cultures when we simply express we acknowledge traditional custodians. Um so in response to your questions there, Shane, look, I grew up in Melbourne, uh, suburban Melbourne. Uh, most of my life was spent there, but my father was actually in the military, so we did move around a little bit, so I was very lucky to live in the, the, the eastern side of Australia um, right throughout my, my life. Um, I'm based in Brisbane today. I'm a member of the Yorta Yorta and Gunai Nations, which is my Aboriginal background. Um, our community is based at Lake Tyres, which is down near Lake's entrance in Victoria, um, and in regards to the question of my first job, my, my first job was actually working in my family's business. We had a tire and mechanical shop, and I very quickly learned how to interact with the public and uh, run a small business from a very early age from leaving school um, up here on the Gold Coast, and I worked in Brisbane with my family business, and that taught me a lot about um, the, the skills required to engage well with the public. And from there, I then spent 15 years in the Commonwealth Government 
working as a, an Aboriginal liaison officer and manager of Indigenous services programs. And then for the last 12 years, I've run my own consulting business, specialising in Indigenous engagement, employment and procurement. And I'm very lucky to work with a large volume of quite large corporations in Australia around their reconciliation action plans. So uh, pre-COVID, I was heavily booked doing face-to-face cultural competency presentations. I've also built an online program, which is available. And I've also today moved into the technology world. Um, as you mentioned, Shane, it's wonderful that technology is working well for us today. Mm-hmm. And now I've I've transitioned into working virtually from my home office and it's been wonderful. I mean, that sets a really great um, foundation for the work that you're doing now. And, and I want to hear, I guess, a, a lot more about that. And one of the things I'm, I'm conscious of whenever we bring up a topic and we have a conversation on this show is that we have people coming from very different walks of life and perspectives and trying to understand. Um, and I guess one of the things I love to do is bring everybody onto the same page and to be able to, I guess, start at the entry point of the conversation around um, what is reconciliation uh, and what's Reconciliation Week all about? Yeah, thanks for the question, Shane. So National Reconciliation Week runs from the 27th of May to the 3rd of June every year. And we call it a celebration and it's an opportunity for education as well. But the significance of those two dates is on the 27th of May, 1967, Indigenous peoples of Australia became citizens for the very first time, which is only 53 years ago. Wow. So we, we remind our listeners of the recency of that, that we're reconciling the consequences of exclusion. Because there are consequences when you're excluded legally as a citizen of your own country. Mm. And one of the things that we talk about, or sorry, the elements that we talk about in these conversations is not to blame people or point fingers at anyone, but just simply tell the truth. The truth may be unattractive for us when we unpack the history of Australia and the relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. But we need to do that respectfully and deliver that in a way that allows people to come on board on the same page, as you mentioned earlier, Shane, so that people feel safe enough to ask questions, share their thoughts and comments, and don't worry about the political correctness or the sensitivity of that. Because I think when we when we are concerned about the barriers, such as being offensive or saying the wrong thing, what happens is people say nothing, mm. and then nothing changes. So we ask people to lead this space by coming, becoming positive disruptors. And positive disruptors need to build their Indigenous toolbox, which is what is the language that I'm going to use when I describe Indigenous people? Do I say First Nations, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, Indigenous? Mm. They're all okay, by the way. We just need to be comfortable with language first so we can actually have the conversations that what I call conversations that matter which will lead to conversational leadership. Because if you share fast facts and did you know questions with others about Australia's history, it does provoke a positive disruption and it allows people to understand the concept of what are we reconciling from. So Shane, a lot of people don't know what we're reconciling from. So quite simply, we're reconciling a history of genocide, segregation and slavery. Wow. And, and one of the things that obviously is so striking in those conversations is the recency, which is kind of what you just touched on. This is not something that is a long time ago. We're talking 50, 60 years ago um, uh, when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people weren't considered citizens in their own country. That seems so so recent and yet um, potentially not conversational. And a couple of people that have we've been having conversations with recently have been 
um, I guess a little bit anxious or a little bit fearful of not being able to have a language or what, what you kind of describe as a bit of a toolbox to be able to have these conversations. And, and I love um, you talk about these little fast facts or did you knows that can kind of help just, again, bring the conversation alive and start the conversation happening. Um, do you have any of those kind of um, did you know fast facts conversations? What, what are some of the things that um, potentially people aren't aware of? Yeah, absolutely. And um, also the significance of the 3rd of June, um, which is today, uh, 28 years ago, on the 3rd of June 1992, the High Court of Australia delivered a decision that challenges the concept of terra nullius. Um, as we all, as some of our listeners might know, that terra nullius means land unoccupied. Terra means land. Nullius means nil. And that concept was challenged by the High Court of Australia on the 3rd of June 1992, which some of us will know as the Marbo decision. So that's a wonderful fast fact that you can share with anybody because one of the concepts of terra nullius was that it was suggesting that there's nobody here throughout colonisation. Everybody knows that's not true. Mm. There's evidence, scientific evidence to back that up with sacred sites, connection to country, cultural practices, and there's even visual images of Indigenous people being here prior to 1992. So one of the uh, fast facts we can also share is just, you know, and I know that we have a cashless economy or encouraging that to happen. Uh, but if we do have a $50 note to spare, you can simply talk about the man on the $50 note. His name's David Janapin. Well, conveniently, I have a $50 note sitting in front of me. It's, it's nice today you've got a spare one floating around, Shane. <laughs> um, and one of the interesting things about a $50, the $50 note is that I ask people to reflect on this. If that man was good enough to be on the $50 note, why didn't we learn about him in school? Mm, great question. And I'm just going to ask the listeners to reflect on that because when you were talking earlier, Shane, I was thinking about we need people to allow we de- we need to allow people to reflect on the truth first before they think about actions mm. because it is compelling. And you did refer to the recency and how uh, I guess mystifying it is as to well how come Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people weren't citizens of our own country until 1967. Mm. When, it, when science tells us we've been here for nearly 60,000 years. So people need to just reflect on that first. Just process the fact, process the truth, and then think about how I can turn that into action moving forward. Because the theme of Reconciliation Week this year is we're all in this together. Mm. And that was pre-COVID, by the way, for anyone interested. <laughs> um, I just want to quickly put a disclosure around that one, Shane. But But also the fact is we need to walk together and move forward and there's so much goodwill in our country and I want to remind our listeners that there is a lot of curiosity and interest in this space and there's no greater time to be talking about reconciliation than when we see the volume of media coverage straight out of the US that Mm. shows us that if we don't think about solid relationships or creating conversations that matter and becoming positive disruptors, that there are consequences for that. Um, and I'm not suggesting that we're moving into the same space as the US, but did you know that there's been 400, over 400 deaths in custody of Indigenous people in Australia since 1991? Wow. That, that wasn't a statistic that I was aware of, and, and probably, like many people listening to the conversation, probably not something that they, that they were aware of. And you, you no, mentioned nothing like fast facts and data, Shane. I, I know. And you mentioned the fifty dollar note about the man on the fifty dollar note. It's got me curious now. Is there a, a, some? Can you help enlighten me on the story and maybe some of the background behind that? Absolutely. Look, I love talking about David Janape, and he's born in eighteen seventy four. He died on the seventh of February nineteen sixty seven as a non citizen of Australia. 
Because on the 27th of May, three months after his passing, he would have became a citizen and had the opportunity to be legally recognised for his nine inventions that he had registered as patents. The mechanical shears is one. And another fast fact about that, Shane, is that how much did the world make from shearing sheep Mm. quickly? Thank you. We all know more than that $50 you're holding. (laughs) And one of the things about this, Shane, is that a lot of people don't realise that he he created economic development for the world through his invention of the mechanical shears, yet received not a cent for that. Everybody listening today knows that's unjust. It's unfair. And from the power of humanity can see how there are consequences for being a non-citizen of your own country. Mm. You don't have any legal rights, even the means to register. So David Genovan's a wonderful story. Um, and how he creates the mechanical shears is he puts two boomerangs together and crisscrosses them over and realises that, oh, that could that could become a blade. Wow. So that's actually what the piece on the image next to the fires, in between his face and the fires, depicts the mechanical shears which also links me to the conversation about how scientific Indigenous culture is in Australia. And recently I worked on a program with um, a Commonwealth Government Department called the CSIRO. And, of course, they were very interested in understanding more about the science of Indigenous culture. And we talked about a boomerang. So you can't just pick up a piece of wood and throw it and hope it comes back. It ain't going to (laughs) happen. But if you apply science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics by putting 45-degree angles on the blades of a boomerang, you will make it come back. Mm. Listeners, I'd love you to reflect on that because that's a lot of trial and error yeah. just to make a boomerang come back. And David Nathan was a specialist in throwing boomerangs. Wow. This, again, something that we probably hold in our hands, you know, most of our life, a $50 note that we've probably never had the conversation around and, and probably never even had the awareness around something that is here, that's right in front of us. And it, that in many ways, um, when I have conversations with people, um, we have conversations around, I guess, many of these topics that you and I are discussing. And most responses that I, I have from people are, well, I just didn't know, and I, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what my role is, and, and I guess that's part of our conversation today. Is like one of the things you're saying is we can keep having these conversations because the conversations help um, raise the awareness. But if if we if we are in that place where we've had conversations and we've become aware of something that we we don't know, or there's things that we we know that we need need to be doing and we should be doing, then what does it look like individually? Like, what's our role in this? Um, and I, I I guess especially for for me um, and potentially people that are, uh, you know, very similar to positions that I am. Like, what's my role to be a great ally? What's my role to be a great um, um, conversation or voice in, in this conversation? Uh, well, some of the key assets that you've um, linked there, Shane, is simply education through conversation. Mm. But make that a safe conversation. A non-judgmental environment is a wonderful way to create what we call cultural safety. So we're not, we're not judging people the way they say things or how they ask questions. Just let people use their curiosity that they naturally have and don't worry about offending. I think we need to stop worrying about are we going to offend mm. or um, am I being tokenistic to actually I just want to learn. So I look at tokenism or um, the fear of offences and learning opportunity. So if somebody does say something wrong, I mean, who cares? Let's, let's take that opportunity to relax and go, well, actually, by the way, this is the way we use that language or this is how we say that mm. so that we're co-learning together. 
look, I, I strip it all back, Shane, and just keep it really simple. I just look at it from the power of humanity. I don't worry about whether we're black or white or what our cultural background is. That'll come later on. But I just simply look at it. If we can find sameness while we're exploring difference, the sameness is actually what brings us together. Mm. And I think it's the differences that we focus on that become barriers sometimes because we're fearful of offending. And unfortunately, not everybody's wonderful at giving feedback to people that do make mistakes in this space. And I think we need to be kind, mm. kind and patient. And one thing I've learned, particularly with the technology revolution in the last eight weeks, is kindness and patience has been not only good for my mental health, but certainly for everyone else who's been having challenges transitioning through that. But it reminded me of, look, we're all in this together and what is it we can do to support each other? Mm. I, I want to repeat what you just said there because I, I felt like if there was this essence of this conversation that we could draw out from, it was that idea of like, can we can we find sameness while we're exploring difference? Um, which I, I love that idea. Like, can we can be can we be kind to one another and understand that there's so much that we have in common while in the process and while on the journey of understanding our differences, right? Absolutely. Wow, really, and obviously that's a that's a really powerful, um, and I think obviously the kindness factor in all of this. One of the things I've I've loved in a couple of conversations that I've been having with you is that I've always felt like there's just been this incredible humility and kindness and willingness to be able to kind of bring me on the journey in our conversation. And and I think um, you described it as a being a positive disruptor, and and that's definitely how I would describe our conversations. But um, in this and in many of the conversations we have revolve around leadership, we know everything kind of rises and falls on leadership. And so um, much to the extent of the individual role, what's the role of leaders, maybe organizational leaders, people, leaders of teams what's what's their role in all of this so i guess anybody who does um something positive in this space becomes a leader by default so if we if we allowed people to understand that that you don't have to be in a positional power as a leader to lead this space you can still do wonderful things if i can call it from the bottom up Mm. an actual fact i've seen that work more effectively sometimes than from the top down um so but in response to your, your question there shane and you did ask earlier on, you know, a lot of people are confused about what they can do to contribute to reconciliation and having these conversations. Um, again, reminding everyone the, the benefit of did you know questions and fast facts, which you can get off websites, there's books, there's podcasts, there's lots of resources around. So the first thing leaders can do in their organisation is to do an acknowledgement of country at the start of team meetings and make that normal business. Mm. Don't, don't let it become an add-on. It might be an add-on at the start, and it might be a little bit uncomfortable for some, but it's like when we have to used to do safety briefings at the start of a meeting. Everyone was a bit uncomfortable with that, but eventually yeah. it become normal business and people expect it to happen now. Mm. I'm, I'm interested to hear your, your your take on this conversation because obviously you, you've, you've used the word quite a few times, the idea of something feeling very tokenistic. And, and I know that there's lots of organizations who do an acknowledgement of country at the start of the meetings. And, and some of the, the conversations I've had with people, they said, you know, sometimes it can feel a little bit um, like it's another thing to add to the agenda and they're not sure whether it's um, valuable unless it's really personally meaningful. What, what are your thoughts on that? Doing something is better than nothing. Mm. Very I think simple. we can overanalyze that point, Shane. I mm. think it is just simply doing something is better than nothing. Because yeah, when nothing happens, nothing changes. Mm. Um, and also respect people's thoughts on, look, I, I want to do it all. I don't want to be authentic. And I hear that all the time. And I, I totally accept that. And I, and I appreciate when people say that because they're genuinely wanting to do the right thing. Mm. 
But unless we give people the resources and lead that space by a leader starting a conversation, because I've done the acknowledgement, but don't just do the acknowledgement. Spend another minute or two explaining why you've done it. Mm. So any leaders listening today who do an acknowledgement regularly, thank you so much for your kindness and compassion in that space because it does provoke conversation. Mm. And what we hope an acknowledgement becomes is not just someone telling a story, but actually telling what it means. So the people can walk away and go, okay, well, now I know why we do that. Yeah. Remember, in Australia, approximately 30% of Australians are born and educated overseas. So we need to be considerate of Australians that didn't go to school here, who are working for organisations that probably know nothing about what we're reconciling from. Mm. So what a wonderful way to open the door to conversation by doing the acknowledgement, displaying the map of Australia with the Aboriginal boundaries on it, putting together an Indigenous library or toolkit, which for me is a five-stage learning strategy, which is podcast, webinar, online training, face-to-face training. And the fifth one is walk on country. Mm. If you're a leader, get a leadership group together and go and walk around Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane or any regional area in Australia with a local elder, traditional owner, who understands the connection historically and culturally to the land And that is just a wonderful learning opportunity for everybody. So there's three elements there. There's the acknowledgement, which is saying it. There's the map, which is displaying it. And there's the walk on country, which is doing it. And seemingly... um seemingly easy like easy things to do like it's not we we often are faced with a you know any kind of um big conversation that we want to be having and it can feel um inaccessible or difficult or it it seems so unattainable but something as simple as just taking time to walk on country and be able to have have conversations to be able to do an acknowledgement just to be able to start that conversation it's not big things right it's it's the small steps it's the, the kind of one foot in front of the other right uh, wonderful pickup there, Shane. And what I've all, what we've also mentioned is the simplicity of it all. There's mm. nothing complex about what we've just discussed. And by the way, can I just mention, very budget friendly. <laughs> Thank you. It's important not to use barriers like, oh, we don't have the money to do that or we don't have the time to do that. I think people need to look at it and go, actually, how can I make time mm. to do that? Um, because it's not complex. Yeah. You know, if I do an, if you do an acknowledgement of country, and we did one today at the start of our show, or our, our, our podcast, and one of the things about that was it didn't take long, it didn't consume us, it just was simply done, delivered, mm-hmm. and then this, we moved on. So don't make it complex. Yeah, don't make it too complex. And and we were talking, having a bit of a conversation about this the other day. We didn't go into much detail, but um, you mentioned it's it's obviously very budget friendly. But over, I guess beyond that, um, it's it's not just a a um, a good decision, a, a moral and an ethical decision, but it's also a good um, business decision, right? And an economical decision for our country. Like you talked a little bit about the business case for for this. What's what's some of your thinking around that? Yeah. Look. Um and thanks for that point as well. It's it's important for leaders, for our leaders listening and, and any of our listeners to understand that the more you encourage inclusion through the vehicle of employment, starting with education, moving into employment, and I know this sounds a little bit capitalist, but you actually create more taxpayers and who have become less welfare dependent. Mm. And anyone who understands economics appreciates that that actually raises the living standards of everyone. If you have more people paying tax and have less welfare dependency, it actually raises the living standards. And I take that research from Deloitte Access Economics um, 
as well as my as as my reference point. So there are business, uh, sorry, economic reasons for inclusion and diversity. It, it does raise the also the mental health status of people who are marginalised. It gives us a sense of belonging, participation, and a sense of being equal. Mm. And I think it's important to look at it from a an economic perspective too, that a, an organisation that, that has a, a demonstrative reconciliation action plan and not intentional but demonstrates its capacity will actually start to win business as well, not only from government departments from, but from large organisations who seek that mm-hmm. when they look to do partner uh, business with other organisations, whether it's through, through joint venture or partnership. And a lot of that links to the Indigenous procurement policies that were released by Commonwealth, state and local governments to encourage Indigenous engagement through running Indigenous businesses into your supply chain logistics creates employment by default. Mm. So there are other mechanisms for engagement outside of doing the acknowledgement and putting on information sessions. So recently, uh, sorry, this week I, I mentioned that we're celebrating Reconciliation Week, but there's a whole calendar of events that organisations can lead by celebrating and educating our colleagues about the significance of these events. Mm. So um, the business case, I don't want to detract away from that, uh, Shane, because that is the core of the question at this point of the discussion, but it is about understanding, as a leader, how do I promote the social and economic benefits? Mm. Because the truth is, Shane, not everybody's into uh, what you might call the social side of engagement through inclusion and diversity, but if you can show them the economic case, that gets further traction as well. Mm. I mean, and, and again, like it's it's kind of not either or, it's both and, right? It's it's not either the, the social benefits and or the economic benefits. It's both of these things create a really compelling case um, for both businesses and individuals to be able to bring people from the margins. I think anytime we bring people from the margins of society, we, we lift um, society in large. So I think it's, it's a good conversation to be having. Now, I'm, I'm mindful of our, our time as, as we kind of bring this conversation into land a little bit. Um, I, I want to kind of, I guess, circle back to, to people that might be listening uh, to this later on about some of the practical next steps, the things that they can do right now. And I know we've talked about having conversations, we've talked about finding resources, um, learning fast facts, looking up online, some of the things that we could be doing. But like if you were to give some people some really simple advice about like what next, like what what's the best thing to do? To, like we're, we're kind of at the end of Reconciliation Week now, but how do we let this be kind of embedded into our day to day? What's some of the things that you could advise to someone that might be able to do next from here? Yeah, so, and thanks for that, Shane. So, find out where you grew up. So, if you grew up in Melbourne and suburban Melbourne, find out what was the name of the traditional custodian group for that area. And then you might want to find out the language behind that. So, how do I say hello in the local language? So, if you're in Melbourne, you can say uh, Womanjeka, which is hello in Wurundjeri language in Melbourne. You can also be in Sydney and you can say Warami, which is the Gadigal word for hello. Because it's probably fair to say, Shane, that many of our listeners know the words in other languages to say hello, like ciao, mm. konnichiwa, kiora. Wonderful, wonderful entry into any culture is the gateway to language. The ga- language is the gateway to culture. Mm. So if we start using language, like in the morning, if we were saying you're in Melbourne, you could say to your colleagues, woman jeka, and what you're saying to them is hello in a local Aboriginal word. Wow. Um, so that's a very practical way to create curiosity because you're also reviving language. 
because we won't talk about it today, Shane, but Aboriginal language used to be illegal to speak in Australia. It was oh. prohibited. But that will be for another day. <laughs> but one of the things about language is that it creates curiosity, and we need to create curiosity. So giving people an interesting book to read, there's a wonderful book put out by the Australian Institute of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Studies called The Little Red, Yellow, Black Book. We couldn't make the title any simpler. <laughs> um, so don't be guided by the title, but be guided by what's behind that. So don't judge the book by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's always this wonderful, and I encourage all Australians to look at it because it's even in the education curriculum today, which is the SBS NITV uh, six-part documentary series called First Peoples, First Australians, and go and watch First Australians in the six episodes, and you'll get you'll go on a wonderful learning journey as well that you can share with others. Mm. I mean, thank you for the resources because I think that's always a really great place to be able to start to learn and grow. Obviously, conversations like this are valuable, but having something that we can go away and dive deeper into some of the conversation. And I think what what you've touched on so beautifully here today is this idea of like, we're all on a journey in, into discovering what are some of our differences. But if we enter through the, I guess, the, the gate or the pathway of sameness, which is what do we have in common? What are the conversations that we can be having? Um, we can learn that we actually have so much in common and there's so much that we can, um, yeah, we can, and, and while at the same time, there's so much that we can learn from one another. John, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really value you just taking some time out to be able to, to, I guess, raise our consciousness, raise our awareness and and to be able to have this conversation. And so if people want to connect with you, they can reach out and connect with you on LinkedIn. Um, I I think one of the best ways um, we can say thank you is to to actually reach out and have a conversation about how you might be able to help um, people and leaders in their organization. So your website is johnbriggs.net.au and people can email you there. They can get in contact with you and call you there as well. Um, Is there anything else that people can do um, to, to get in touch? Oh, look, I look forward to any of the listeners reaching out. Uh, I do like to capture the goodwill. So if you reach out to me, I'll firstly measure your goodwill by doing that and we'll respond accordingly and timely as well. Um, but you can also contact me on my mobile number, which is on the website as well. So if you want to email, have a chat, please reach out. It's important that we move forward together and that you feel comfortable enough to approach me with anything you might be inquiring about. I don't have the answers to everything, but I'm certainly well connected with networks and resources and can certainly make helpful referrals. And thank you so much, Shane, for the opportunity as well to be on your uh, show and be a part of your operation. And it's very kind of you to think about uh, the importance of putting reconciliation into your listeners' um, options um, to engage with, particularly the last day of National Reconciliation Week for 2020. We're all in this together and what a wonderful way to support that. Thank you so much, Shane. Yeah, really beautifully said. Thank you so much. An important conversation we can be we can be having. I'm going to wrap up the show now. But um, um, Yesterday when we had a phone call, you tried something out on the phone with me that we haven't been able to have a chance to have a go at today. Are you prepared to do something like that as we go out? Are you ready? I'm ready. Happy 
National Reconciliation Week, everybody. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.